one shot at a time. Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you follow the Canadian tour, if you follow the For Me tour over the past year with everything COVID at Delta, you're going to recognize the gentleman we have on the podcast today. Uh, two-time winner on the McKenzie tour this past year, as well as player of the year. Um, Callum, appreciate you joining us, man. Callum Davidson from Canada, but spends a lot of time in the Palm Springs area, so we hear. So excited to have you on the show and excited to hear your story of uh, what all's transpired over the last year or so. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Luckily, I get to spend some time in the, in Palm Springs. Get out of the, the bad weather. Uh, definitely uh, is helpful. Um, trying to play professional golf and, and follow the dream. For sure. I mean, you said even jumping around from uh, you know Palm Springs to Hawaii and back to Palm Springs, you've uh, you're definitely living the good life as far as finding the warm weather to play some golf in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to uh, yeah get to travel and, and and get to go to pretty cool places uh, around the world, really. Um, so yeah, yeah, privilege for that. No, that's awesome, and I know I think the the traveling portion is what really led us to reach out to you in the first place. Uh, the, the one post you had earlier this year uh, via Instagram was kind of just talking about all the miles you traveled and uh, the places you went, and it even had an RV. So I got to ask off the bat: Was that your home, uh, home on wheels, throughout the whole year? Yeah, it started like uh, I'd like to say early June and went all the way till um, early October. I think the first week of October. So that was kind of where we um we mostly um just drove in it and, and and used it as a little base um but we did stay in some hotels during um tournament weeks and then off weeks we would, we would stay in it is there any particular decision as to the rv compared to maybe flying is it covid related or possibly even costs yeah um yeah costs cut down on costs a little bit um you know uh yeah. And then obviously with COVID and everything, you know, it just made, it made it easier. Um, wasn't sure what was going on. So I come from Canada, um, early June, it was kind of, we still had a bunch of lockdowns and whatnot. So, uh, it was just easier to drive and, 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 um, cause of how the tournaments lined up, you could kind of make it work, um, uh, <laughs> a lot of driving, but I mean, it was reasonable. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, talk to us through that too. Cause I think a lot of folks maybe, either missed it if they were kind of on the outside looking in or just didn't maybe even really understand what the the four me tour was all about uh which it looks like you played in a good bit how did that tour pop up to you guys that were you know used to playing in the mckenzie tour and and how did you really get involved to play in a lot of their events yeah so basically um they reached out um basically told us that the mckenzie tour was uncertain um what was going on in canada and the border restrictions um for the american international players so they decided to hold eight events um, as the form tour. Um, and it was played mostly East Coast. Um, and so, yeah, that was basically the way to get onto the Corn Ferry this year. Um, and uh, yeah, they provided um, the opportunity to be able to do that. And um, then the McKenzie tour on the other side posted their schedule, I would like to say like mid-June, like it was so late, that's when <laughs> the tour starts. So. Um, a lot of players, you know, um, and Canada McKenzie tour this year didn't have any corn ferry spots. Um, so that kind of made it not as desirable, um, to go play up there. Um, so yeah, you kind of had an option, um, to do both and, uh, they overlapped a little bit, but, uh, yeah. 
Well, it's awesome that you were able to play both. And I think it speaks to a lot of the drive and passion you have to, to make it out there and play on tour. Um, where did that drive and passion come from? I know you said you grew up in Canada and, um, you know, we'll get into the exciting grip choice that you use as well, but where did that passion come from growing up? You know, did you always have a knack for just, you know, wanting to go play professionally? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I started out, um, I mean, I'm from Canada, so you got to play hockey. So my dad uh, played semi-professional hockey. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, he ended up being a banker and, um, he would play with his clients and whatnot. So he started getting into golf later on in life. Um, and then I have a brother six years older than me, um, played for Pepperdine university of Pepperdine on the golf team. Um, so that, uh, growing up always kind of, you know, they were always at the golf course. So I, I wanted to join them kind of thing. Um, mind you, we all played hockey and, and, and that's kind of, that was my main sport until I think I maybe 12 or 13. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, go to the golf course to hang out with your, uh, brother and dad. So that's kind of how it came, came about. That's awesome. It's got some grassroots in it, Dante. I know as you and I learned the game with our dads and, and we just kind of always wanted to be tagging along and seeing if we could hit it by him. I know as our dads are kind of aged a little bit, we can kind of always hit it by him now, but yeah. as a kid, that was always the, the goal, right? Let's go, let's go hit it by dad. So it's really cool to hear there's some grassroots in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, and then, you know, as you talk about your brother, your older brother playing at Pepperdine, you chose to go a little bit different of a route and kind of um, oversee the college route and play your own path. You know, what was the decision behind yeah. really just kind of forming your own path within the game? Um, yeah, it was more um, I not, you know, huge. I, and it was never going to go to university for four years. Um, that wasn't really the path I wanted to do. Um, I knew I was going to turn professional. Um, it's just a matter of time. Um, and I decided after I got um, pretty much full status on the Euro Pro Tour at the age of 17, um, I decided over in Europe and the UK, um, feed her onto the um, Challenge Tour. Um, so kind of like the McKenzie Tour, but in Europe. Um, decided that, you know, why go to university for a year or two, even three? Like, you know, you're not going to get an education at the end of the day. So let's just skip that process and, and learn on you know, playing professional golf, there's no better, better way of learning. So, uh, that was, you know, it was a very interesting summer. That's definitely a lot of low points. A lot of people told me, you know, like, you know, professional golf is a lot tougher than obviously junior and amateur golf. And, uh, man, you, you learn really quick. I mean, you either, you either get better, or you quit. <laughs> so, As I say, what a way to cut your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of miscuts, a lot of miscuts that summer, uh, made a couple and then, uh, yeah, I, you just learn and, and, and you play with players that have experience, um, played a lot of players, you know, played on the Walker cup over there and whatnot. And, um, uh, you know, older guys that, you know, had a career, um, and you just, you learn from them and, and you manage yourself better and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's, um, it, it's always interesting to me. And I don't think we usually get a lot of answers in this side of things, but how did that, the European side of golf really differ from what you're seeing on the American side or even from the McKenzie tour, um, you know, up in Canada. Yeah. The golf, the golf is a little bit different. Um, it was mostly played, um, in England and a little bit in Scotland and Ireland. Um, it, the travel for one, like, um, over there was more driving, I guess. Um, but, uh, the year, after that, I ended up playing on the Alps tour, which was flying everywhere. So that kind of learned <laughs> schedule part of things um, and flying and whatnot to different countries every week. But uh, 
just the golf, the, 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 the change of grasses and, and over there, it gets very windy. So, um, just learning how to play in that really is, is huge. And, uh, yeah, um, different green speeds and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's always talked about, I think, which is crazy, um, of just the kind of vast difference of course style over there and how to play and how to hit shots. Um, you know, as you came back over to the McKenzie tour and had a pretty successful summer this past year, um, leading into really the end of this summer, like you said, the late season with the McKenzie tour due to all the protocols and stuff. Um, did you come straight back over from Europe to the tour and kind of get on your hot streak? Yeah. So, so, um, that was, yeah. So basically I played in 2018 on the Euro pro, um, 2019 on the Alps tour, which is another feeder similar. Um, and then 2020 hit with COVID. Um, so McKenzie tour was only four events. Uh, wasn't really the McKenzie tour is kind of more just uh, put on something for Canadians kind of thing. And then, uh, yeah, then last year, yeah, 2020, right? um, yeah. So last year, yeah. So basically I played on the form tour the first half of the season. I won Q school, so I didn't have to worry about shuffles or anything on the form tour. Um, played five events, uh, struggled with, I had a, a back injury and, and kind of, um, I had a long driver. It was 47 inches. Um, and I just, I couldn't, couldn't keep it in, in the fairway basically. So, uh, yeah, kind of, rethought things went down to a 46 inch driver um and then uh from there i i uh took a couple i took a week or two off and uh decided you know i have, wasn't having very good success on the on the form tour so i thought i'd go up to um pei was the first event up in, on the mckenzie tour um and kind of just reset the season um uh, just because of the points and everything kind of reset and i knew there was some um aspect i knew i couldn't get to the corn ferry um, but I could keep my card and I knew there was a, um, PJ tour, um, spot up for a grab. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit, which I think is kind of the crazy behind the scenes aspect that a lot of people never see is kind of weighing where you want to play based on points, based on exemptions, based on, you know, a, a number of things that people really don't see that all players like yourself really have to pay attention to and, and put into to matter when it's like, all right, well, if I play this tournament uh, and I miss out on the tournament over here at the same week or the same time, I can miss out on so many points. Like, what is that really like to have to kind of volley in and choosing where to play from week in to week out? Yeah. So I, I kind of had that situation end of season. Um, there was corn fairy, um, uh, uh, Q school going on. And, uh, so basically I either had to choose to play in a McKenzie tour event, one of the last ones, um, or go to that to the first stage. Um, and I decided to not do it just because, if I miss that event and, and, and someone jumped ahead of me or whatever, it would put more I don't know, pressure on me to uh, have to win or, or, or whatever. So it kind of, you know, you have to choose, you pick and choose at the end of the day, I, I did the right decision, but you know, you know, at the same time, I, I could be on the corn ferry, you know, if you killed <laughs> it in Q school. So it just, you know, it's tough. You just got to pick and choose and, and, and live with it. Yeah. And as more, tours start to pop up too do you think that decision just continues to get harder as far as where to travel to and play yeah because then so yeah, i've always gone to european q school um and it hasn't been going for the last two years but so you have that and then you have uh, asian tour um you have the australian tour 
Um, so there's so many, there's so many different tours, sunshine tours. So you, you got to just um, figure out where I think each player kind of your game kind of sets up for different tours, um, if that makes sense. So in Asia, it's very tight off the tee and whatnot. So maybe if someone that hits it really straight, maybe not as long, you know, might, you know, like Asia or whatever. Um, but you got to look at the end goal too. Um, some don't lead to the PGA tour. Some just lead to making decent money and doing it for the rest of your life, but you don't get to, to really where you want at the end of the day. So. And I imagine like guys like yourself and other really high end players that the goal is to play full time on the PGA tour. That's, you know, the bread and butter, you, you want that kind of paycheck to play for. Um, when you look at, you know, the season you just had and two wins and getting that PGA tour start, obviously it's just the start of where you want to go. Um, are you still driving the RV from place to place? Is that something that's still <laughs> no, in the schedule? No, we, we actually we ended up selling it. Um, it just, <laughs> too many RV problems. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> it was a mess. Uh, it, it seemed like if anything could go wrong, it would. And it just, uh, it was a lot. And uh, yeah, no, definitely going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> when you're putting that, uh, I mean, I'm day job here is, is transportation. So when you're putting that amount of miles onto a, a vehicle, it's, it's bound to break down here and there. And <laughs> I can, I, I know your pain. I see it. I see it on the, on my end. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, even, but then even if it panned out, um, at the end of the day, you just, you lose too many days, like from driving from Seattle all the way to Georgia. I mean, it's just, you got to stop, you got to practice. It's just, it's too much. Um, if your schedule is just going week to week, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Gotta be tough and grueling on kind of the mental aspect and the physical aspect when, like you said, you're going from coast to coast, when it's taken, you know, three to four, maybe even five days to get to one location, let alone you're traveling three different time zones. And then you just got to get out, you know, basically, yeah. you know, cart to, to tea. And yeah, it's, yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, and it just, it doesn't allow you to, yeah, prepare for some of the events. Like I had one from PI or, uh, yeah, PI to Saskatchewan. I mean, I think it was a full two day drive. Um, and then you get there and you have a day to practice and play the golf course. And then the next day you're playing again. It's like, you never had a break where if you flew, you know, you'd have a day break or or whatever. So it's tough. Yeah. I think it's funny. Like we really learned this year too. Um, we went out, uh, or I guess came back on a red eye from Palm Springs to, to the East coast. And, we, we lost so much time the next day, Dante, you and I spent the whole day, like in sweatpants and a t-shirt, just lounging around because we were gassed. Um, well, and I can only imagine switching time zones like that in a car, nonetheless, or an RV yeah. and having to get up and go play a, a tournament worth your career, you know, uh, that, that cra- gets grueling. Craziest yeah. part is the fact that we just, we couldn't get out of East coast time when we were out on the West coast. And as soon as we got back, it all hit us at once. And I'm pretty sure, like Dalton said, him and I basically passed out over the weekend. <laughs> we took a red eye. It just like totally destroyed us. But I mean, like you said, more. I mean, I'm I'm complaining about a, you know two days rest here, and I shouldn't be when you're getting out of the trunk and you're walking to the tee, and you basically you got to like power through that. Yeah, I mean, we did have some positives though in the RV. Um, you, you got to see some neat places. I mean, you get to drive across the country. When else are you going to really do that? Um, 
and it allowed me to play some really cool golf courses. So it had some benefits, um, but uh, the negatives outweighed the benefits. So uh, <laughs> now was there a, was there a full team on that RV or was it pretty lightweight traveling or, you know, how, how did you travel with a team? Do you travel with the team? What does it look like as, as you travel across the country? It was actually my mom and dad. Um, they thought, um, my mom, my, my mom didn't stay the whole trip when my, my dad was there. He was my caddy. He, he caddied, uh, every single event besides the last event. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's been my caddy since I turned pro and, um, we've had our ups and downs, but, uh, you know, we're still staying strong. So, uh, yeah, so it, it was just us three. And, and so a really cool experience, you know, to, to hang out with my parents, um, on the trip while I'm doing what I love to do. And yeah, so it, it was neat that way. Yeah, that's uh, I tell you, that's life changing, especially if you can come out on the other side and and not have animosity <laughs> towards one one another once you're traveling like that. I know every good father son duo knows what uh, a good fight here or there can do. But uh, you know, speaking of your father and the relationship you have with him, did he influence that kind of cross handed action you got going on, or where did that come from? So uh, yeah, I just I picked it up when I was like three or four at a golf club, um, and I you know, it just it felt natural to me. Um, and then by the time I got older and older, it was, you know, you know, they tried to change me. I was pretty stubborn about it. You know, I, nah, I'm good. Like, <laughs> you know, so, and then we got, I got all the way till when I was 12 and I, I started playing some tournaments when I was about 10 or whatever. And, and 12, I, I won provincials. Um, we have, um, this thing called the DC Bantams and every province has it. And it's kind of provincials for 14 and under. Uh, and I won it when I was 12 and it was, it was kind of cool. And, uh, it kind of ensured me that, Oh, you know, maybe I can actually play like this. Um, so yeah, it kind of went from there and, um, I got a golf coach at the age of 14. Uh, I saw him for two years. Um, eventually he tried to change me, um, and I wasn't having it. So, uh, <laughs> that actually has a big part of me in Palm Springs. I have a, a great golf coach here. I have a relationship with him for the last, uh, about six years. So, um, he's, he's been great, Chris Walkie. Um, and there's, yeah, so that's kind of, kind of the way it's become my swing. So that's awesome. I, it's just crazy cool to hear. I mean, we hear it time and time again on the wrong side of history of like, well, I tried to change or even watch pros change, right? Like not from a yeah. drastic cross-handed grip, but you watch pros change and then they kind of lose their, they take their fall from greatness. And, uh, just watching a swing here on your Instagram that, really, you know, get your hands in such an awesome spot up top. Like if you would just watch it real quick, you can't even tell you're cross-handed it. It's a great spot up top to really see the club set in. So, uh, man, it's just a fun swing to watch. And then when you really slow it down, you're like, wait a minute, he's cross-handed. I'll be dang. Um, so it, it's really cool to watch. Yeah. Thanks. I, when I was like younger, before I had my first coach, really my, this coach that I'm with now is really kind of cleaned it up. Uh, over time but uh before it was just a mess like if i showed you a video you'd be like there's no way you could play golf like that but <laughs> around so uh but yeah he's he's cleaned it up and it, it now visually looks a lot more appealing and it's more consistent um and so that's where the, you know the last six years um for me has been um just trying to become more consistent day to day um and and, and yeah just keep on working on the, the tendencies that i have and, and yeah so we've got uh, one of our own here. Uh, I won't mention names. 
Dante, but uh, we've got one of our own working through a swing change right now. And if you had to give some advice to him, as you just said, you went from something that was kind of really a mess to something that's really, you know, uh, pleasing to the eye and pleasing to your, uh, your scorecard too. What's one piece of advice you could give him as he kind of battles this swing change? Yeah, it's a lot of hard work. That's for sure. A lot of hard work, a lot of hours on the range, but uh, I feel like the biggest key is to be able to trust the person you're working with. Um, if you can't do that, it's just not going to work out. Um, I kind of figured that out the hard way. Um, <laughs> my first coach, um, but I've kind of over time the last six years, there's been periods of time where like, Oh, you want me to change that? Like there's no way, but you know, he has an idea in his head where he wants to get me at the end of the day. And, uh, you just gotta, gotta believe that he's doing the best for you and, 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 and just, uh, work on it and work hard and see where it goes. I, I hear you. I mean, it's crazy because obviously I'm so, I'm so inside and they basically soup it back around and yeah, obviously we're trying to reverse that and it's you know I've, I've had friends I've had other coaches I've had like anybody you can think of sitting there YouTube whatever trying to like fix it and I think you know Dalton and I were out on the range I don't know if you've seen any of our our clips on Instagram but you know another fellow uh player and friend of ours Trent Feltz too they just basically were like dude we're gonna make like the next 20-30 minutes and we're just gonna work on like this one move and I was like, this can't work. I was like, trust me, as soon as I get behind a ball, it's dead. And they're like, no, just, just, just go with it. And just yeah. the one little simple move for now is, is insane. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, it's been pretty cold and wet and snowy. So I've just been mirror imaging that in my room just to like, it's pretty much, I really can't get to a range right now, but it's yeah. wild. Yeah. Right? Like, like you're saying, you just, just put the time in and just trust it. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you don't even need to be at a range, really. If you're working on something major, like, you know, you just do it in your room. You know, you can do it in the morning, afternoon, at night, even at work, you know, lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I cut it. I cut a three iron down to like this big just so I wouldn't hit any lights or break anything, just so I can at least see the club face. <laughs> what a true golfer. I was going to say, tell me you're an addict without telling me you're an addict. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, no, that's awesome, man. It's, it's something that's a true testament to hard work. Uh, any swing change is, and especially to get to the level you've gotten with what you've got, uh, it's a testament to a lot of hard work. So, uh, excited to watch the next year, you know, as we talk about the next year, you've got a PGA tour start, you've, you've had a great success on the McKenzie tour. Uh, what's the next six to 10 months look like for you? You know, what's on the schedule? Yeah, so I uh, go to Louisiana to play uh, two um, Corbin Ferry uh, Mondays. And then after that, um, just kind of preparing, might do some mini tour stuff, but uh, just preparing for the first event of the McKenzie Tour. Um, I think it's going to be roughly um, mid to late May. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll play the full schedule, I'll have full stuff on that. Uh, don't have to worry about any shuffles or whatever. So um, we'll play on that. And then I have my... Um, I get to play in the Canadian Open, so that's uh, mid to early June. Um, so yeah, I'll, that's kind of that's kind of the schedule, and then I'll try to do um, Corn Ferry Two School this year. Hopefully, as long as everything coordinates well, and then uh, European Q School. Awesome, man! A lot of exciting things ahead. Uh, excited to watch you play, uh, and excited to see the the full status. I imagine that's a breath of fresh air having uh, full status in Mackenzie this year. 
Yeah. Last year I was kind of lucky. You know, I won two schools that gave me the same thing. And so it's, it's huge. I mean, you can plan your schedule instead of going week by week. And if you miss a cut, you know, you don't know where you stand. So um, yeah, just, it frees me up and uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, before we wrap up for this evening, where can people follow along on your journey, uh, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, uh, where can people follow along to, to watch it unfold this year? Yeah. Instagram's the best place. It's uh Callum D four. Um, kind of the only social media I have. But yeah. Perfect. Well, that's all you need, right? Just to, uh, just enough to become famous. <laughs> I feel like Twitter gets you in trouble. So you Oof, amen to that. <laughs> I, I can't have a Twitter profile. That's for sure. For sure. Well, awesome guys, go give him a follow. Uh, he posts some incredible swing videos as well as kind of just following his journey on the McKenzie tour this year, as well as a couple of attempts at some Q schools. So Callum, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for taking it out of your evening to join us. Thank you. Much appreciate it. All right, guys, that was Callum from Canada. Uh, exciting talk, Dante, just to get his side of, you know, how how it was uh, this past year for the guys that weren't on the PGA Tour. The McKenzie Tour being shortened and then having the late season finish uh, as they restarted in June, hearing about his travels and the RV and um, how I think, thankfully for his sanity, they're not doing that again this year. But um, <laughs> it's just cool to hear, you know, the other side of the, the tail of the tape, I guess you could call it, from these guys and just really out there grinding, uh, hoping to make it out to the, the biggest stage of it all, the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing, too, because that's not really the side of the tour you really get, right? We all see the ones that they make it. We watch that on a week-to-week basis. Um, no one really kind of talks about what's it like to get there, and these guys face a lot of adversity. And with COVID, they faced even more adversity on how to be able to get tournaments in to help progress their dream of becoming a PGA tour player. So it was awesome. It was awesome to see. I mean, listen, hats off. I mean, I think I, I wouldn't be able to make it like a two weeks with with my parents uh, in an RV. So, I mean, a whole, whole season, that's pretty awesome. You know, we've talked about this time and time again, I'm an only child and God bless my parents. And I did it for (laughs) a while, but yeah, that's a lot. That's like, that's a road trip upon road trips. I mean, he said one one week was Seattle to Georgia. To Georgia, yeah. That's that's a haul. So I mean, I mean, I, I think the cool part is, I mean, if you you know you talk about all the old songs and it's Route sixty six. I mean, if you drove <laughs> down that route from coast to coast, I think that would probably be pretty badass to really see kind of america as a whole and all its landscapes and the views and all that. So I think that probably was definitely something not. I mean, not even 1% of people even get the dough. No, and I think, you know, as we talk about not only 1% of people getting to do, um, it's go play Pebble Beach, number one golf course in the country. We got to see it out at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week. Um, Storylines galore um, for some of great reasons, for some kind of concerning reasons, and I think we'll get into all of it. Um, You know, first off, Shout out to Clint Eastwood for still being part of the the production. The man is 91 years old, uh, but still finds his way out there, if only to mutter a few words. Uh, It's cool to see him still out there because he played such a vital part in really producing what is Pebble Beach that we see today. That's that's crazy. And and sometimes it's it's people like that 
you know, that you admire and inspire the bee is they, they're always constantly grinding. They just always want to be in the mix. They always want to be working. It's like, he's constantly doing something. And I think that's kind of like, you know, Ted talk here is constantly make sure you're doing something at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of crazy to think that a guy like that is just still out there kicking it. Um, you know, we saw people like Bill Murray who continuously shows up year in and year out. Um, you know, as we go down the list, though, it was kind of a shorter list this year of celebrity pro-ams than we're used to seeing. Obviously, you know, we still got to see the likes of some NFL players. We still got to see Canelo Alvarez, who's really hitting his stride with playing golf now that he's kind of picking here and there between his fights inside the ring. But um, one that surprised you and I, schoolboy Q has quite the smooth swing. You asked me, you said, Schoolboy Q's playing. Does he even know how to play golf? Uh, let alone, we watched him all weekend long hit some great shots out of Pebble Beach. Yeah, and, and it was pretty wild because I was trying to, you know, catch as much as I can. And, you know, obviously the broadcasting tries to show the pros as much as possible, get the celebs in there here and there. And, you know, he did some amazing interviews and kind of gave the, the lowdown as to exactly what golf is and what got him into golf. But, you know, I finally was able to get him, get some shots from him of actually swinging it. And the guy can play. I mean, when you see, when I see like these celebrities anywhere from, you know, in between like that 10 to like 12, you know, like that nine to 12 handicap, you know, mm -hmm. these guys really know what they're doing. Obviously there's some mistakes that they do out on the, out on the course that could just be course management and that never, not necessarily swings, but these, when I see that these guys know what they're doing, they know, they know how to get around the golf course pretty decently. I mean, you're pretty much shooting what, you know, low to mid eighties, uh -huh. which is pretty hell, pretty hell of a score. And if you can do that on, on a pro tournament course, I mean, hats off. Well, that's the way that some of these AMs year in and year out. I feel like the, there's an AM story every year, usually the AM that wins it. Right. But that comes out and says, see, I wasn't sandbagging you. I'm really this good, or I'm really this bad or whatever. Uh, and for the last few years, it's been Larry Fitzgerald. He's kind of had the title year on year off year back on. Um, so, I mean, it was cool to see some new faces out there. Um, as we, you know, we talked about the lack, I guess you could call it, of celeb pro-ams, only 28 really well-known celebrities out there this year compared to fields in the past where you've got 40-plus. Um, but still cool to see the pro-ams that were the ams that were there. I think it's a fun little niche area that the Pebble Beach pro-am is hopefully always going to have um, that just kind of sets itself um, different from the rest of the year because, you know, Pebble Beach is still that U.S. Open venue that comes back every few years. Um, it's just cool to see Pebble Beach have this laid-back atmosphere out on the Monterey Bay. Yeah, it's weird to see how some of these West Coast swings do these type of tournaments because it's the beginning of the season. We're just starting to kick it off. It's prime. I mean, we get it prime time on our, you know, our coast here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it's interesting and it, and it's cool to see, but it's weird how it doesn't kind of progress its way as the season really starts to kick off. Yeah. And it is kind of crazy too. And, and maybe this is just my East coast bias, but when, when I look at pro-ams, I am so conditioned to think Wednesday rounds before the tournament starts, right? That I feel like maybe that's just an East Coast thing. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but to see this kind of AM event that kind of flows its way into the entire tournament, 
We saw it out at the Amex, uh, out in Palm Springs. That also is a three-course venue and centered tournament with also, hey, by the way, a PGA Tour event going along right alongside of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's something where maybe it just hasn't made its way to the East Coast. I'd be interested to see maybe down the line if something does produce itself, um, you know, in a East Coast fashion like these AM four-day tournaments. Yeah, it'd be neat to see because we see the kind of what AMs or maybe even celebs whatnot kind of uh... – make uh, their appearance on the east coast because obviously we know a lot of them do live on the west coast because that that could be the thing that could be the answer right there we don't know it, it could be your los angeles hollywood persuasion and and call it what it is at that right um yeah but i mean still fun to watch um i'll be honest with you i think you watched a little bit more than i did uh, but i mean the the shot heard around the world um the shot that almost cost jordan species life if you listen to any of the media <laughs> Um, that shot on, uh, what was it? Eight off the cliff. It was just, I mean, it didn't look that bad until you saw the overhead view, the blimp view or the drone view or whatever they were using. The drone view made it look like he was hitting that shot and going to just fall into the abyss. That was the caverns around the, the ocean. I mean, it, I, I'm pretty sure I actually caught it live. You know, I was, I think I had, you know, the laptop on and something else on and just kind of flipping back and forth. But something I looked down, I said, holy, I said, whoa, I was like, that's, that's kind of, that's in- intimidating. And I think from the aerial view, you're like, whoa. And then you don't know what his, you know, first person vision was because he's the one beh- standing behind the ball. It seemed like he clearly had enough stance, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you're looking at kind of where he was standing and then if you were actually addressed at the ball and you looked out, that there's nothing. It's just a cliff. So, yes, that would freak me out, too. Just wondering, like, all right, if I, you know, just a little bit more forward or I slip, I'm, I'm done. I mean, as soon as he hit it, he jumps back. Well, and, you know, it's crazy to think because the camera was on him for so long. Greller was like passionately trying to talk him out of hitting that shot. Yeah, he was pissed. They talked to Greller after the round and said, Greller said 99 out of 99 times, I would, if I had to look back on it, go and pick up that golf ball and tell him, Jordan, you are not hitting that shot. We are taking a drop, right? Like it was, it freaked out Greller way more than I think it freaked out Jordan in the moment. And I think as Jordan looked back on it too, he he's like, whoa. What did I, what did I try and do there? Like, I mean, I know I made par, so I guess it was worth it, but he made a comment. He goes, the footing was solid, but I didn't have much room past where my left foot was the problem. It was downsloped. And if it was flat, there was no issue, but the downslope even made me worry because you're trying to get this forward lean on a downslope shot. And what if the left foot slips? I mean, exactly. As crazy as it sounds, that might've been the first time I can ever remember in golf history that if something went bad, we could have lost an athlete. Yeah. Like legitimately we could have lost an athlete and you never hear that inside the ropes at a PGA tour event. Yeah. I think he said that he said, all right, tomorrow I'm going to take less club. I mean, that's crazy. They have a hole like that. I mean, geez, but I mean, it is Pebble beach, but I mean, I think the craziest part is that he peered the living hell out of it got up and <laughs> too down good. And made par. too good he he hit it too long. good yeah yeah i mean oh man it was just uh my oh my it, it, it's crazy to think like 
you know, we get so spoiled that golf is the sport that isn't contact, isn't death defying, right? I mean, if you're an NFL fan, if you're a, if you're an IndyCar fan, you know, all these sports are death defying, right? Like one wrong turn on IndyCar and you're just, you're hoping you make it out alive in these crashes. One, one wrong hit in the NFL, you're paralyzed from the neck down. We don't see that in golf. This was the first time, like I said, this is the first time I can ever remember the announcers actually being like, oh, for the love of God, please don't hit that. Yeah, it was almost a life or death defying moment in, in possible reality, which, I mean, not possible, impossibility, but it was actually reality. Like, not many people realize, dude, if his foot slips and he tumbles, he's done. Yep. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> it was something that was just so crazy. I don't know if we'll ever see much like it ever again, just because the venue at, at, at Pebble Beach is is one in a million. You don't see those kind of drop offs just on every venue. Maybe the only other place I could think would be Torrey Pines. But even then, you don't get on those kind of cliffs on the golf course like that. They're kind of way off the golf course. So a once in a lifetime shot from Pebble Beach that for the love of God, I hope no one is presented with uh, in our lifetime ever again. It's not a, a, a shot that when you say, oh, I can have a ch- chance and have a, an actual possibility of playing Pebble Beach that you want to go reenact those shots. That's something I don't think they're going to put a plaque there. No, I you don't know, think like there's a one iron certain... plaque or anything like no. that. And you want to know why? Because I think if they put a plaque there, it'd fall into People the ocean. It. It, no, it'd fall into the ocean the next big windstorm they have. That'll, that's also a possibility. <laughs> but I tell you, you know, as we're talking about uh, shots that you wouldn't want to recreate, you think Harold Varner wants that 92-footer back? Or you think he, he'll accept the outcome of that last 92-footer he hit? I don't – I don't know. It's a great question. <laughs> because I'm trying to think because he was so – that was a buzzer beater. It's the best way to explain it. That was a, you know, NCAA national championship buzzer beater, three-point shot, swish, however you want to talk about, however you want to say it. That's what that shot was. It was just like, I'm just going to hit it, give myself an, a shot to get it up there, and then kind of go from there or just get the, get the two points or something and, you know, get it to overtime and go to a playoff and, you know, it went in. You know, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the best way to say it. it's a tied game. You got a couple few seconds left. It's an inbound pass. And as soon as you catch it, you got to jump and shoot. If not, you're going in the, in the overtime or if it goes in, you win. I mean, let's be honest. You, you could not draw up a better uh, scenario to make one. You couldn't draw up a better reaction to make one. You couldn't draw up just the entire scenario in itself uh, falling into place for that 92 foot Eagle putt that Harold Varner can't, I mean, center cut fell in lip first, like perfect speed. Couldn't have hit it better. Um, it jumped him from just way outside of the top 50 in world rankings, um, to 45th in the world rankings. So massive jump inside the top 50, um, which is just insane. Um, what that guarantees him, uh, with a cutoff date, if he stays in there for the next month, uh, is a trip to the Masters, a guaranteed Ooh. trip to the U.S. Open, uh, and a guaranteed open venue spot as well. Um, and he's already punched his ticket to the PGA Championship. So 
the man is automatically playing in four majors. Uh, if he doesn't finish like DFL, then the next couple tournaments, which I don't think. <laughs> I had a trophy for that one. <laughs> Dante knows all about DFL. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, just, a, I mean, insane to think about, right? Bubba Watson, who we haven't heard from much, really much at all contending. <laughs> That's who he beat after he can that Eagle putt. So Bubba Watson almost, you know, pulled one out of the hat too. And, um, is, is outside of the top 50. So, I mean, it would have been a life changing, uh, I wouldn't say life changing. Watson's already won the masters twice, but I mean, it would have gotten him into all four majors. If he would have won a too. single, a single career change for sure. Definitely individually, um, for like your solo or, or your 2022, 2023 season, it, it's, it changes a lot, which it's kind of finding that, that first it's that first win too with this, some of those players that get their first win it just opens so much up to them and it's crazy how much power a win has when it comes to what's in store for you for the rest of the season mm-hmm. i mean that same thing with tom hoagie when who won the uh um at&t i mean look at his rank that just shot up all all the way that pretty up pretty like inside top 50 or 100 or whatever it was i mean it's yep. it's insane what a win does on tour. Yeah. He moved up 29 spots from 71st to inside the top 50. Again, just monumental movements from these guys who the, that, that top 50 and, and honestly top 60, as it is for the U S open, just gets you so many more exemptions. Top 50 in the world gets you into world golf ranking points uh, or world golf championships. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, as we just talked to Callum about these guys just doing the numbers game all year long of what they get in, what they don't get in. God, how a how a win can just elevate you to not have to worry about the rest of that crap. Yeah. And, and, and if you get it off and early, especially – and I think that's what's cool about some of these events and even on the PGA tour here, the West Coast swing. If you can get out there um, where a majority of like the top 50 aren't playing and you get yourself a win, man, you're I'm not saying your season's going to be an easy ride, but the mental stress of it will. I mean, you can go in and you're like, wow, I'm locked into all of these major tournaments. I'm locked into, you know, xyz tournament and now i can kind of really pick and choose what i want to play and go from there yeah and i think there's no there's no common i guess folly that every time these tour pros talk about you know what's the number one thing they get out of a win it's not the money it's not this that or the other it's the guaranteed starts it's the world golf ranking points they talk about it it's like it just frees me up mentally every time a tour pro talks about a win like this. And I think with all the other things they get, like the money, like this, like that, you know, they talk about the freedom of mentality because they know it makes them play better week in and week out. Um, It's just, it's, it's awesome to see, um, you know, I think Harold Varner is going to see that freedom of mentality. I'm excited to see that from him because it always seemed like he was on the outside looking in to a lot of these opportunities. Um, And I think this is the first of many for him. And then even with Tom Hoagie, I mean, he saw a viral clip go absolutely nuts where his best friend was back at home, just like drinking scotch and willing him on to win. I think his friends at home know it's just the start for Hoagie as well. And he could maybe rattle off a couple wins. And I think as we look at the greater 
scheme of the entire golf world, there's so many guys out there like that that are just on the cusp. If you give them a little bit of freedom of mentality and a win here or there, yeah. they could really start to rattle some things off. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's without the win, you're going out and you're like, I'm every tournament these guys go and play, they're trying to win, right? Now it's, but it, probably half of them are like, well, I need to finish at so and so in order to be able to take on this tournament or get this start or work on work towards their career. It's like, they're constantly going, it's almost kind of going like paycheck to paycheck in a, in a way for these guys. It's like, but it's tournament, the tournament, right? They're like I got to get through this tournament. Hopefully I can have enough from this tournament to get to the next tournament and be able to, so, so on and so forth. Now they're like, I'm just going to go out, play some golf, do the best I can and hopefully get to w- and try and win and then move on to the next tournament that I have lined up. No, a hundred percent. It's a, uh, it's a grind out there, man. And it's, uh, it's going to be exciting to see who uh, maybe takes these wins over the early part of this year and, and turns it into something special. And maybe some guys that, you know, take a win or two here or there and, and maybe kind of fall flat. So uh, it'll be fun to watch over the next couple of weeks. And as we roll into February, March and dun, 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 April and the masters um, that, you know, who gets, who gets the hot hand. And I, I always love this time of year because you know, as Will Zalatoris in his first showing um, finished second last year, you know, no one expected him to have the showing he did. But then, you know, you saw a lot of the um, you saw a lot of the typicals up there, you know, day in and day out. So because they had the hot hand coming in and they were highly ranked in the world. So it'll be fun to watch who kind of rides that hot hand. Boy, if Bubba keeps contending, he's putting himself in the mix for another Masters if he can continue to be hot. Um, Varner's never had that great a success at the masters, but it would be awesome to see him in contention. Um, and I mean, as we watch guys like Zalatoris who just won, um, uh, in that, in that playoff or contended in the playoffs, I'm sorry, finished second, um, out at Torrey Pines, you know, if he gets hot, does he contend again at the masters? So, so many storylines to watch as we continue to kind of have a really fun wraparound season in, in January into February now. And, um, I'm just excited to see who starts pulling out some wins. If Bubba gets keeps playing with the clear mind that he's working for, I'm calling it. He's winning the Masters. He's going to definitely. I'm. I'm. He's going for it. That's that's our early call of the year. If Bubba mm-hmm. gets hot, he's a lock for the Masters. I think it's more. I, 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 he has the game. Obviously, he saw it this past week, and I think it's more because he he and stories have come out. It's you know, he battles with anxiety and all that. So if he can play, you know, with a clear head and just go out and play. Yes. That's, that's the early pick. Well, I love that. I love me some Bubba. So uh, that's, that's some good stuff. Uh, You know who else I love? Phil, the thrill Mickelson. This man is the thrill. This man cannot, I mean, for the life of him, um, and I'll, here's why I think it started with the fireside chats, fireside chats went viral. And then all of a sudden Phil couldn't keep his nose out of the media. Um, and he's in it and he's in it deep this time. Um, he's, he's in it with some comments he made with the PGA tour. Um, some think it was trashing the PGA tour. Some think it was saying I'm gone. 
Um, and, and I think it's somewhere in between and, and, you know, we can kind of debate on where you think his comments fell. Um, you know, he made some comments saying that basically he thinks the media rights of the PGA tour, um, are a little greedy. He said that, you know, when he had to play in the match, uh, with Tiger Woods, and then again with Tom Brady, each time he had to pay the PGA tour a million dollars just for the rights to his own, basically golf videos and his own golf swing during that match. So, um, you know, again, we deal with the media in all kinds of facets as far as them telling us what to think. And I think this is a perfect scenario of them twisting some words that he said out of context. Um, I don't think he was truly supporting this Saudi Arabian uh, backed tour. I just think he was shining some light on some things that he doesn't truly appreciate about the PGA tour. Um, so getting into that, what do you think Phil said right off the bat that, maybe ruffled some feathers and, and might've been spot on. For the people that think he says he's done with the PGA tour and he's moving on. It's a flat out lie. That ain't happening. I mean, out of all the golfers out there, that's still, you know, from like his air that are still playing. The dude loves the tour, loves the PGA tour, and loves golf in general and just loves competing. So if he has any chance of any tour to be able to play events and compete, he's going out to, he's going to go out and do that. As for the, the comments, I, I think he does have a leg to stand on. I mean, why is he getting shunned by, I mean, like you said, they're independent contractors, right? They're not employees of the PGA tour. Right. So I feel like there's like a lot of loopholes and gray areas when it comes to the players and the tour, uh, as to like, you know, you can't use that or you can, you know, but at the same time, it, it's, it's kind of like you got the PGA tour and then you got Phil Mickelson. They're two separate brands kind of collaborating, but if it's my product, my swing, why am I getting yelled at by the tour as to what I can and cannot do? Sure. And, and I think I can speak for both of us here. Um, you know, when, when we talk about the, the atrocities that are obviously uh, can't be overlooked by the funding counterparts of this Saudi Arabian tour, right? Um, I, I think we're in a position where common sense prevails. That's not okay. And, and that can be talked about in a different conversation because I don't think that's part of this conversation. And it's unfortunate that they brought that side of that conversation into this talk about what Phil said about the PGA tour, because I think what he meant to isolate was simply the player's rights to their own media and the ability to a share that media, the ability to b make money off that media and, and C maybe even to do a little bit of both share their own media or play in their own sanctioned events, right? Like if Phil wants to go and play in said events somewhere across the world at this current point, he has to get approval by the PGA tour to go play in said event. And I think, you know, as we round this whole thing into a big grand circle, that's the entire reason Greg Norman is starting what he's starting with the Asian tour, with the subsidiary tours to give players more options to play outside of the reins of what is really starting to sound like as we dig this thing up, a, a, a PGA tour kind of stranglehold on the players that are inside their reins. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's almost you're kind of almost seeing each general region, continent, country, area having their own tour, 
right? Like you may kind of could rebrand the PGA tour, right? To like get the European tour, you know, the Asian tour, mm-hmm. the American tour, right? Like you can possibly rebrand it to that based on majority of the events that they play in. And it, it just kind of goes down to, like you said, and like Brett, Greg Norman saying is all we're trying to do is just kind of come together, collaborate and have more opportunities, more tournaments and more venues to play at. Yep. But here comes the PGA tour, Mr. Big brother, like, uh, uh-uh, Mr. I'm the senior, whatever. Like, this is my house. You ain't going to be able to do that kind of thing. And it's, and then it's like, well, aren't you guys also promoting grow the game? Like, don't you want to grow the game as a whole, like from, you know, top to bottom and around the world. But then at the same time, you want to push away what everyone's trying to accomplish here. Right. And I think the biggest misconception, and I think this is where I struggle with any media overall, but especially the way golf has been covered from the past decade, right? The last sentence of this golf.com article where it talks about Phil Mickelson, it talks about the Asian tour, it talks about, um, you know, the integration of Norman or whatever. It basically finishes with this statement, which to preface this, I think this is the worst possible statement they could have made. I think it misses it on all forms. And I think we talked about this uh, episode or two ago when we talked about Norman's kind of end goal and what we thought played into it for the greater of the game. The final statement of this article from golf.com says what's good for Norman is bad for Monahan. Speaking of Jay Monahan, the PGA tours current CEO. I think that's bullshit. I think what's good for Norman can be good for Jay Monahan. You just watched from what is to this day, other than his last win on the Saudi tournament, Harold Varner has played specifically on the PGA tour. He just, as we just talked about, jumped way inside the top 50 of world golf rankings. How all of a sudden is his win on the tour that Norman now heads bad for Jay Monahan when Harold Varner is going to come back across the globe and play in the PGA tour now ranked inside the top 50 garner way more fans because he just made a 92 footer across the globe and they haven't seen him yet. So he's going to come back across the globe and people are going to want to see him because of that putt he made on that tour. Which now you promote uh, an event that's not really heavily filled with top 50 players. And now Harold Varner wants to play in it and he's in top 50. Hey, look at that PGA tour. I'm going to promote that this tournament, we got, X amount of top 50 players in it, and especially the previous winner of said tour. And for golf nuts like us, which I think everybody's missing the big picture here, it was in Saudi Arabia. So I woke up to golf and I woke up to Harold Varner hitting that putt. And then I had a two hour delay or whatever you want to call it, intermission. And I got to watch more golf stateside. We get more golf. Yeah. More I mean, world and- talent golf, and somehow golf.com is spinning this to be like they're fighting with each other. I'm so sick of this narrative. We get it in golf, we get it in politics. That's a whole nother life, but whatever. So, so it, you it's just nuts we, to me. So, you're hold on. You said more golf, right? You way more golf. You, you felt you woke up to golf. 
I woke got, up to golf. Did whatever you had to do on the weekend. And then watched more golf. Isn't that what Greg Norman is pitching? More golf? And not only just more <laughs> golf, right? But what did we just see? We saw a pretty okay field out at Pebble Beach. Obviously, that Pro-Am doesn't get the best of fields always. So that's here nor there. We saw an incredible field in Saudi Arabia. What happens, hypothetically speaking here, right? What happens when this league has a tournament the same week as a, say, I don't know, the week before the P, the tour championship. So the BMW, right? What happens when that limited field is down to, what is it, 50 players before the tour championship goes to 30 or something like that? Or is it 70? I don't know. It's either 50 or 75. Something. What like happens that. when you have everyone who didn't make the week before the tour championship still have an ability to play a limited field event across the globe. So now you've got the top 70 of the PGA tour and who's ever left across the globe, which is European tour players, McKenzie tour players, this, that, or the other still top 100 ranked players in the world going and playing an opposite field event in a different time zone. So now I'm getting six hours of golf coverage in this time slot, which doesn't offend the PGA tours time slot, right? Now, all of a sudden, holy crap, golf channel, you don't have an issue of coverage anymore. You've got an effort. You've got an issue of too much time because that's what the golf channel continuously has struggled with and is why they've contracted. I think back to Connecticut is because they don't have enough golf coverage. All of a sudden you've got triple the golf coverage and way more people to send to these different areas to cover golf and incredible world ranked golf at that. You ever, you ever just like go to sleep one night, forgot to turn off the TV I mean, I have a TV in my room. Yeah. Usually watch the golf channel. I don't want to watch Netflix or anything else and turn on the golf channel, forget to put the sleep timer on. And next thing I knew, I wake up and I said, wait, this isn't the golf channel because it's an infomercial. <laughs> something I don't know what's for. And I'm like, oh, crap. Let me go, you know, back to the golf channel and turn off the TV. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm on the golf channel. Yep. When, look at that, you have coverage during that time slot for these other tours. And kind of pointing out that where you're talking about you got a tour here with this amount of players that didn't make this tour, and now you got they're playing all, all day. Pretty much you can have golf tournaments 24-7. Mm-hmm. But look at guys like Harold Varner the third and Tom Hoagie, you know, there's more tournaments, which allows more, you know, players to go where they choose. That switches up the whole world rankings. And, and again, it just, it frees up a lot of things for these players individually and kind of as a analytics as a whole, as (laughs) to, wow, like who this guy won here. And well, that guy won there where now, how do they fall? And I mean, it can totally mix things up rather than seeing like the two thousands era where Tiger Woods just sat at number one for years. Yeah. Yep. It's dude. It, it's something where I am just, um, <laughs> I'm excited to have a seat at the table. I guess you could say as just a golf 
enthusiast, a golf nut for the next four, six, eight, 10, 12 months, whatever it takes for all this to pan out. Um, if Greg Norman's visions become reality uh, and we start to see more and more tournaments where these kind of offerings are actually, you know, realized, right? Like pros can go play wherever. Um, I'm excited to watch because only time's going to tell what's right and wrong. Will it work? Will it not work? Um, but boy, I'm excited to see these pros have the opportunity to do both. And I'm just, I, I think the only misstep in which the PGA tour already threatened to do is ban players who go play in other tours. I think that's a massive misstep uh, on the PGA tours part and could cost them greatly. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> you do that, you're asking for a death sentence. Well, and and here in the same vein, I'm a realist, right? Like I, I look at all the facts. It, it's it, in one sentence, it's a death sentence. And I see where everyone can say, listen, you do that and you end your business platform. In the same vein, I think there are so many guys vying for that professional golf status that if you're not top 10 in the world, you might say, Hey, you know what? It's not really worth me giving up my status I have on the PGA tour. And especially if I've won in the last year or two, now I've got five year status, right? So there's a lot of guys that are going to say, Hey, you know what? I've got three, four kids. I've got a life to live. And you know what? It's not worth going somewhere else because I've got guaranteed money here. So there's a lot to be said on both ends of, uh, you know, of the spectrum. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to play out. Obviously, like you said, we see, we see good and bad on both sides. Um, But I mean, if you want to look on a positive outlook, you're going to give a lot of potential outcomes and opportunities for these players to eventually play tournament golf professional golf and do that as their career as the profession that they choose to do i mean you got doctors nurses out there they 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 chose that profession that's what they want to do these guys i want to play golf for a living and it's going to allow them to be able to pursue that dream and that career of theirs yeah so and i think that word right there career um will affect a lot of these guys' decisions right um, when you talk about guys who aren't inside that top 125, if they start getting offers to go over to this league that is going to offer them guaranteed money to just show up because that's already been in the conversation, hey, show up. And as long as you hit a golf ball, you get paid. Um, I think there's going to be some movement. Now, I think a, a conversation we all forget is being in Saudi Arabia, this isn't just the United States guys anymore right? This isn't just the PGA tour state land. These are European tour guys. These are Indian, South African, European, uh, Australian. These are every single continent is going to be going to Saudi Arabia with that kind of money. So again, it's just, it's that roundabout conversation of um, who's going to see the worth in it, who is maybe struggling to make it on the PGA or European tour. That's going to go over and say, listen, I'm two strokes at this tournament from being a European tour member or two strokes at this tournament from being a PGA tour member. Um, And again, atrocities aside from the funding money, because we're not talking about that right now. Uh, We'll talk about that in a different episode because it obviously needs to be talked about, but 
just from a money standpoint, it's going to draw a lot of attention. And I think that conversation is worth having. Yes, sir. So money, money, money. It talks and, and it, uh, it is definitely interesting. We got to talk about Mr. Money Man himself because he's been offered an astounding amount of money to be the front man, the poster boy for this Saudi league, Mr. Bryson DeChambeau. Um, unfortunately, on injury reserve, and it came at a really timely time when all of a sudden word broke that he was offered $130 million to go be the poster boy. All of a sudden he pulls out from events and takes a little bit of time to cool off. Did he collect a check and is he going and designing his super yacht or, or what's, what's the story you think behind Bryson's pulling out of these events? I don't know, man. Oh, you just gotta, you just gotta wonder. Cause I feel like he's just, he's constantly in the limelight and it it's, there's always a positive and negative reaction from whatever he does. Yeah. Uh, so you just gotta, I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel like he's too much of a competitor rather than to get like a, a big ass lump sum and you know take the money and run kind of thing. I, just kind of knowing his the way he's interviewed and kind of his backstory and I mean, the, the guy is just a, is like a true golfer. I mean, he loves the the aspect of the game and just studying the game I and mean, look what he did with this swing over the years, just constantly studied. So I, I don't think he's out there to sit there and, and collect cash. I think he's out there because he absolutely enjoys the process of it and the competition of it. So I, I don't think he's going to go down that direction. Well, and here's where I think a lot of people overlook again, it's so much media hype and, and so much, bs surrounding bryson to begin with let alone this story dropping about bryson being the poster child for this possible league and and possibly making the switch i think people forget how much um i guess fame and fortune he was brought by winning united states golf association tournaments he's a multi-time amateur winner he's an ncaa champion and so i mean bringing all of those things together. I think Bryson is such a blue blood American and there's a Ryder cup winner now too, with the U S with the U S team this past year. I think he is so much a blue blood American um, that I just don't think he can make this commitment for the simple fact of he could lose in all actuality. If people talk the talk and walk the walk, the PGA says they're going to do what they're going to do. If the USGA follows suit, because we we know the USGA loves to follow what the PGA does and vice versa. If the PGA says, listen, you go to that league, you're out. The USGA could follow. I mean, it could it could trickle down to the point where he's only playing in the Open Championship if the RNA doesn't follow. Because the PGA is going to follow suit. PGA Championship won't host these players. Um, it could get ugly if they talk about doing what they're doing. I don't think with Bryson's current media standpoint, he would make that decision. I could be wrong, but I think his blue blood kind of ties lock him into a, a little bit more United States backing. I would hope. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. I, I don't think that's something deep down that he would, he would actually do. Uh, I mean, like you said, he's, he's won so many USGA events and, 
in all levels that I mean for that to just for him to just kind of like walk away from the accomplishments that he that he's done with that and just kind of his story again and the way he kind of goes about his game I I don't think so but obviously you know you know we're just making predictions here but things could we could be wrong. We could be right. We'll see. And in the same vein, the way you say about walking away from, you know, the Bryson-esque way, um, it would be very fitting uh, in the Bryson-esque way to say, hey, sayonara, I'm going to do things my own way. And uh, I'm going to yeah. go be the poster child for this freaking uh, for this yeah. tour. And I'm going to go hit bombs across Saudi Arabia. So it, it would be very Bryson to do both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is true. <laughs> So He's we'll, very unpredictable. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, it'll be interesting, too, how he comes back from this quote-unquote injury. Claims he fell. Uh, you don't buy it. I don't buy it uh, as far as what truly happened to why he's you know, ill, I guess you could say, or hurting. Um, lots of rumors around this long ball and speed training and whatnot. I'm actually going to stick up for him here. I think he got big the right way. I think he trained the right way. Um, to kind of get his, I, again, I think he swings the right way to avoid injury. If you look at the way he's built his swing, I think it's like pro longevity. I know he swings like a, just a massive individual, but the way he swings, I, I think, think is actually built for that kind of speed. I don't think and, he hurt himself swinging hard. No, I don't know. I mean, the way he swings now is a lot more aggressive than the swing he kind of built up with this one length style. I mean, if you go back to when, you know, he's wearing the hat and he's a lot skinnier, he's at his SMU days and he's training in, in this bay with that big circle and he's just taking the stick and just going around it on one single plane swing. Yes. I agree with you that that swing is built like that, that finesse swing that he has now it's long drive style. And I mean, look at, I I can kind of see a point where the way he drives through kind of turns the entire body rather than trying to like, you know, puts all the strain on the lower back, but I don't know. It's aggressive. I mean, you should see that you ever look at the turf on his rain sessions of what it looks like. I do. and I, and I, I think it's a little dangerous. I don't think, you know, that's cool that he wanted to chase speed and basically take long drive in and bring it to the, to the playing course. Mm-hmm. Great. But I just don't think that's the way to do it. I, I still think golf is done on the green. I tell you, I think a reason that turf looks so bad again, we've talked about this time and time again, and it's de- beating a dead horse. He's like tiger. He still wears the metal studs. I mean, he wears the metal spikes and the way his feet move with metal spikes like that, you're going to tear up turf. They're not soft I mean, spikes. Not, it, see, the thing is, because I think I saw all, uh, um, an article, Colin Morikawa is wearing that. They all do, dude. And it's just hidden because it's this little metal nub right in the middle of the soft spike. Yeah. It just comes a little bit lower than the... <laughs> in the soft spike and just kind of like the force and stuff that these guys you know use coming off of the ground i mean I, I i don't know i don't know they're using metal spikes i mean if you could fix the greens i think you're gonna see more guys 
bring out the metal spikes. I think so too. Um, it, it's again, a, a full circle conversation for some time at a later date. Uh, but that's it for us this week, guys, as always, uh, we appreciate you joining in. If you could go to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to enjoy the walk podcast, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, if you leave us a rating, leave us a review and tag us on Instagram, Twitter, or even Facebook at enjoy the walk pod. We'll send you some free merch. So get on that share with your friends share with your golf nuts just like us uh that we are the best podcast uh in the golf industry so bringing you the best names i mean come on we just brought you the mckenzie tour player of the year uh so shout out to callan for enjoying uh the the walk with us for a little bit this evening we appreciate the time uh and as always guys you can go to www.enjoythewalkpod.com to check out the latest merch from us the latest podcast drops the latest youtubes from us um as we've got a pretty fun year uh up to date for traveling for courses that we're going to go to and do a lot more youtube content so check it out guys and as always get out there carry your clubs enjoy the walk. That's the stuff. One shot at a time.